the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, the second half of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the left. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome Thank back to you. you as well. Thank you, Tom. And last but not least, joining us for this week's uh, political roundtable is political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks, thanks. I introduced myself as that the other day when we had to go around the table and tell people what we did. I said, well, Tom Sumner calls me a political operative. I guess that's, <laughs> that's That's a, a phrase that I, that I uh, liberally stole from uh, the West Wing. <laughs> is, is, what do you call somebody who, who has that kind of interest, works all the time, and no other official title? I know. I think it fits perfectly. Yeah. Of course, other people see me just sneaking around in the dark, but I don't. Know. <laughs> oh, and and what what is the one I finally came up with with Woodrow Stanley because he had held so many offices? Um, oh, Politico Emeritus. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Because he's well, been mayor. We're good and, with he's been mayor and chairman of the. Uh, 
county board of commissioners, a state representative for several years. Yes. He was on the city council. I mean, he's he's ha he's worn so many hats in uh, elected office that you know I had to come up with something that encompassed it all, or the show'd be over before I got done introducing him. Uh, well, we will probably never see another person like this in this community during our lifetime to share all of those positions of experience. And he has a great voice. Yeah, yeah, he does. Does. yeah, he does, yeah. and and yeah. he's uh, he's he's pretty bright. Although he picks on Henry a little bit more than ever, and that's okay. <laughs> uh, that he makes no, me I better. I pick on him too, but that doesn't mean I don't yeah. love him. But you guys make me better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we improve each other. I wanted yeah. to say there was one other political um, emeritus person in our community that just passed away, and I'm yes. sure you probably already Tom know. Donald. Yeah, yep. yeah, Jeff we yeah, we lost Jack Miner. Yeah, Jack was the, the yeah, first yeah. guy. When we when we first moved to Flint, uh, we lived kind of around the corner from him over on 2nd Street, and he's a, he was the first politician I met in Flint, and the first campaign I worked for it was one of Jack's campaigns around 1970 or so. Forgive me, I hadn't seen that yet. Well, it just I didn't happened yesterday. Either. Huh? I got it yesterday. Um, it came over the Internet. Uh, where's his service? See, when you brought that up, Bobby, I thought you were going to say something about uh, Tom Donilon. No. Another, yeah, another person worth mentioning, too. But, no, Jack, Jack just passed away yesterday. I just got a phone call from a friend of his and, and uh, an email from the family. Um, I like Jack Miner, too. Yeah. He's on the city council and state rep and involved in all yeah. kind of activities around, around the county. And he was, I, I think, uh, to the nth degree... He was fair to me, like many of the people were. Some were critical, and I didn't like everybody. Nobody Paul, liked everybody. Did I tell you the story about uh, when Jack Miner was scheduled to talk to my, my daughter's uh, junior high school class? I think she was in the ninth grade. And I, You and might have. I knew ahead of time that Jack was going to be there. <laughs> so I asked my daughter to... Um, when he got around to the, the Q&A to ask him how he felt about jazz. <laughs> and she she got him pretty bad with that one because he was such a jazz fanatic. Oh, absolutely, yes. In yes. fact, I, oh, yeah. I, I think I, I loaded her with the uh, with the phrase jazz aficionado or something. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And I guess it... Uh, I guess it stopped him in his tracks for a minute till he, yeah. till he well, figured you know, out he'd been had. The first time I met him, I hadn't—I didn't know him at all. I'd only been here a little while, and um, we were going through the redistricting question, and um, this was the—I uh, guess it was the last one. And I attended the hearing, and when he got up and spoke, as he came walking back, I said to him, you know, I agree with you. And he looked at me, and he said, well, then I may have to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, that's the perfect segue to the next thing I have on our list of things to talk about, an analysis of draft state senate districts drawn by Michigan's first-ever citizen redistricting commission indicates they would still benefit Republicans. Republican uh, candidates, though not as much as today's districts. The Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission has a mandate to draw fair maps that don't disproportionately benefit any political party in the state. 
Plan Score, a mapping technology project from the nonpartisan Campaign Legal Center, uses past election data to predict the election outcomes redistricting plans would produce. An evaluation of the two sets of state senate districts drawn by the commission indicates that across multiple measures, the maps would favor Republican candidates. What constitutes a fair district? Well, it depends on who's looking at it. <laughs> well, that's true, but uh, you can clearly you can clearly gerrymander for one of the other parties. And the the interesting thing about this new commission is they've got this this phrase called communities of interest, and it's not quite clear what that means. Does that mean racial groups, religious groups, <laughs> geographic Gender. groups? I mean. It's, there's a lot of possibilities Economic, there. Yeah. Economic, yeah. In fact, uh, I saw some of the comments about one of the earlier maps that that didn't include uh, Saginaw, Bay City, Flint, you know, which, exactly. which clearly have have the same economic interests and perhaps even uh, racial mix interests. And so the latest one I saw sort of rectified that. But I think I remember a few years ago, hearing a speech about the redistricting and about gerrymandering, and it said that basically Michigan is about a 50-50 state, that we're very close to almost equal uh, Democrats. Yeah, if you look at the overall votes for cast for Democrats, but, Republicans, for many, if that's true. But yeah. here's, here's one, of the, uh, one of the problems. Now, the Supreme Court has ruled on drawing lines that, um, that break up black communities, for example. Um, but in in most urban settings, there are groups that align themselves with each other. There are wealthy neighborhoods. There are poor neighborhoods. There are black neighborhoods. And you can't draw a geographic map that balances all those things without gerrymandering for a different purpose. Yeah. 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 And especially when you yeah. get into the racial, racial uh, quality thing, because, and that tends to happen more in urban districts, I think, than others. But I remember hearing them talk about Flint, and in order to make it fair for people of color to be able to represent, that you need the gerrymander. Yeah, and no, I'll say, when you take the racial component, and you, you, if you can't draw to, to prohibit, to prevent minorities from being elected, and the the rules have been to try and try and effectively elect minorities in some districts. But when you do that, you got these two components of what's called packing and cracking. If you right. pack everybody into one district, let's say the Democrats win one district but lose the other nine, or if you crack a crack a district, you break up a group in so many fa so many factions that they're not a majority in any one district and they lose everything. So right. it, it's it's you know two sides of the same coin in some ways. And then there's the other perspective that we very seldomly see or talk about. When you collect all minorities in one district, you disenfranchise 50% of that minority because some of them may have different views than the other. And these districts that are gerrymandered uh, where all blacks are, they're Democrat districts. And therefore, people with other views can't rise. They're like the they're like humans were when the dinosaurs were here. 
So uh, you can see the frustration of many people. They want to be have the same kind of opportunities that other cultural groups have, but they don't. You, you know, one one curious effect of gerrymandering for both sides is, is that it may decrease voting. In other words, if, if you're in a, let's say if you're in a very heavily Democratic district where Democrats win 80 or 90 percent of the vote, and you're a Democrat, you may say, well, why should I bother voting? I know my guy's going to win. <laughs> and on the other hand, if you're a Republican in that same district, you're going to say the same thing. Why should I bother voting? I, might, I know my guy's going to lose. So yeah, it's yeah, both. Yeah. But you know, I remember, I go back to my school days when we were studying, um, you know, apportionment. Single member districts sort of lead to uh, two parties and win or lose, where if you had multi member districts, you could build coalition. Yeah, yes. yeah, good point, good point. And, and minorities yeah. would have a better opportunity to have representation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, you know, the, the other thing, uh, this gerrymander, uh, it's, it's okay to put uh, minorities in one district, but you should not consider them poor districts because in the 40s, the 50s, and 60s, black Americans in Flat Michigan had as much money to spend as whites. Because they belong to unions, not in every case. Now, you have to take this with a grain of salt. You have to look at the opportunities that way. If everybody got the same amount of money, $30,000 a year in 1970, could have done anything they wanted to if we could have collectively used that money. But it's politics that kept us apart and did not allow that to, to rise as a possibility. But so there are some pluses and minuses about this gerrymandering, and and I'm not excited about either side. I could live with either side. Well, I do see. By the way, it looked like it looks like Dan Kildee may have a much more competitive district, though, from the maps I've seen so far. I hope yeah. so. compared to what you know. One of them put him in competition with uh, Slotkin. I saw that. Yes, yes. That's. Uh, uh, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Well, well, anyway, there we go. I I would like to see their multi-member districts or their rank voting, um, so that we would have a better opportunity to build coalition. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I would also like to see where you don't have prisons where every single prisoner is part of the census, but they don't have the vote. So you get that's representation. Yeah, yeah, you get representation that doesn't really represent the same number of people. Right. So. Some of the smartest people I knew went to prison. They come out, they oh, write yeah. books. Nelson Mandela? Well, yeah, yeah. And actually a couple of members of the Flint City Council over the years. <laughs> And one Flint mayor. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> and at least one Flint mayor. Yeah. And my grandfather. My grandfather. He was a moonshiner, and he spent six months. <laughs> I didn't know that story about you, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. I have a very colorful background. <laughs> no wonder your dad went on the road. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I got cut off, guys. I get, there's an intercepting call. I get them off, and people just butt in, and I have to get them off. Well, we're because going to break, so. Tom Sumner's voice. <laughs> we're, uh, we're going to break right now, and uh, 
If you're listening to us at 92.1 LPFM, uh, Our Voices Radio in Flint, um, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. We'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with our uh, weekly roundtable armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined this week by Bobby Clayton Walton. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, thank you. And do we have, do we have Henry? Yes, you do. Good, good, good. Okay, I just want to make sure everybody's uh, thank you. Everybody's on. Embattled State Representative Jewel Jones, a Democrat from Inkster, no longer serves on any legislative committees. House Speaker Jason Wentworth, a Republican from Farwell, leveled the punishment Thursday, one day after Livingston County prosecutors say Jones tried to smuggle a handcuff key into jail. After, <laughs> this should be in the X-Files. After a judge revoked his bond and sent him to jail in connection with drunken driving and resisting arrest charges. Jones is the fourth lawmaker to lose his committee positions because of punishment in recent months and the second this week. On Tuesday, Wentworth stripped uh, Representative Steve Marino, a Republican from Harrison Township, of all committee assignments. On Wednesday, Representative uh, Mary uh, Manusian, or Mari Manusian, a uh, Democrat from Birmingham, posted a statement on social media accusing Marino of committing domestic abuse. A Michigan State Police spokeswoman confirmed the agency is investigating after receiving a complaint. How do these actions affect the public trust? Oh, it goes down, way down. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I keep going back to when your ancestor was almost beaten to death by a cane. And I tell myself, well, we haven't gotten any worse, maybe. I don't know. That's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. That's right. Uh, yeah, you know, the old joke about politicians ranking them below who use car salesmen, it just doesn't help that process. Uh-oh. But uh, historically, that has always been a case where uh, people who serve the public have acted in poor taste. That is not likely to disappear. That's because uh, they're people. And, but I'm, I'm so glad to see that the punishment is worth uh, uh, worth it because if you get yeah, stripped they're, of they're their they're taking some cases, action. I, I, I yeah, 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 to be stripped of uh, your positions on various boards is a good thing yeah. because you're ineffective. It's an interesting thing, too, to look at the quality of the people that get elected, the things they do, their character, the way they display that, and how how does the public deal with that? You know, you have recall, which is not easy. You have, can the legislative body expel what they can? That's a little bit of a process. Um, taking away committee assignments, you know, woodshedding them. It's... Um, it's almost like if we only knew them better before they got elected. But you know what? what's great about this, guys? <clears throat> I see balance. You're not just picking on the Republicans uh, when you strip them of these uh, committee assignments, but you're also getting the Democrats. Yeah, I so saw that, too. That, that, is, that is a good thing. So that well, politics are sorting that's itself that's part of out. Them, I guess that's yeah. true, yeah. So. yeah. What, it mean, what it means, Henry, is... There are people who are misbehaving on both sides of the aisle. 
Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's what it really bipartisan. And, and what if you why both parties get together? <laughs> yeah, people want to see bipartisan activities. People want to see that balance. They don't want yeah. to see you politically favor one side or the other. You you sort out the truth and you deal with it. I would like to see a balance of good people. If you can find them. Yeah. <laughs> You're so cynical. <laughs> Well, you know, there's that old famous Mark Twain quote that says, runs something like, uh, assume you're an idiot, or assume you're a member of Congress, assume you're an idiot, but I'm repeating myself. So <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> Have we lost Tom again? No, I'm still here. I'm oh, good. When you get quiet, I think, uh-oh, we dropped. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, a uh, let's let's move on. A politically weakened President Joe Biden, hoping to spark a turnaround with a renewed focus on his domestic agenda after a month marred by a spike in COVID-19 cases and a messy withdrawal from Afghanistan, found on Friday the pivot the pivot could be easier said than done. A string of events over the course of an hour laid bare the challenges ahead. The Pentagon announced the drone strike in Kabul that uh, Biden once touted as killing ISIS-K terrorists had actually killed 10 civilians. A Food and Drug Administration panel rejected an application to provide vaccine boosters to people over 16, though it endorsed the shots for people 65 and older and those at high risk of severe COVID. And the French government recalled its ambassador in Washington for... uh, consultation amid a transatlantic spat over submarines. The unrelated events illustrated Biden's predicament as he seeks to recalibrate around his massive economic proposals, a $3.5 trillion budget bill and a $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. Officials told CNN that Biden hopes to recapture momentum lost over a calamitous August, but the series of events Friday afternoon underscored the difficulty for any president to completely move past the outside events that often come to define a presidency. Can the president get his domestic agenda back on track, and were his first hundred days a little better than the second? No, I don't think it's been a rough. It's been a rough month. Well, as long as we, he's accused of being uh, psychologically incapable, and we need to let the president run the country uh, and build up on his ideas where they're possible. Criticize him, though, when he goes wrong, but also the, it has to be supported with a corresponding degree of support from the other side, and we don't see this. We're shooting well, ourselves you know, I, in the foot. I said, to, I said to a friend this week, Experience is really good, but it should help you adapt to changing circumstances. Your experience needs to give you the tools that you need in order to adapt to whatever changes come along, because they change all the time. And I suspect that Biden's experience will lead him in the right direction. Now, that might be just a matter of faith on my part, but it might also be a matter of hope. But he has to also deal with this with this perception that he's unfit for the office because he can't, somebody else is leading the office. We've got to get but out that of that. That's, that's, that's something that doesn't, that's something that I think doesn't even need to be brought up in conversation because it spreads the rumor. Yeah. Uh, but but, I, but I think, it, I think, it's still out there. We, we need to talk about supporting the president when he's 
when he's our chief executive. I think Biden's yeah. got to move quickly this, 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 these, these two years because I'm afraid next year could, could be very tough. I mean, yes. The midterm election, usually they're tough for the party in power anyhow. Remember, but, we're uh, all Americans first. You know, but it, no. it could be a tough year. Yeah. 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 But like I said to my son, you know, the people in South America are also Americans. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, and but that, and that's another country. We're a sovereign nation. We need to look at it. We're sovereign. We're not combined with everybody else, and everybody else is not combined with us. We no, have but to they're Americans. This is a North American continent. But, this is, but we're, we, not, we we're talking to, about sovereignty. Sovereignty. We need to, Henry, we need to call ourselves uh, citizens of the United States of America. Okay, yeah, yeah that's true. The Mexicans yeah. have always complained about that. Well, uh, we, I, we Americans. I think we are. I think we ought to convince them they should become our fifty-first state. But then, that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would 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 you consider Canada for uh, fifty-two? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they never. Do we seen... have enough resources to um, hold that country together? What Canada? And can we manage? Can we manage? No, Rome got reached this extremity and broke apart and finally settled into city-states. We can't... And I've never, really been under, I've never really been able to understand that because their roads were way better. Um, <laughs> yeah, so some of those are still intact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. Well, Mike Pence is adding staffers for his brand-new office in downtown Washington, inching closer to a possible White House run, even as his his standing worsens with former President Donald Trump and his base of supporters. The former vice president's ramp-up comes as Trump appears to be making good on his declaration to Pence that, I don't want to be your friend anymore. <laughs> that quote first reported this week is attributed to Trump in a forthcoming book by journalists... Uh, Bob Woodward and Robert Acosta. The last conversation between the two Republican leaders was a phone call from Trump in April. Republican sources tell CNN wishing Pence well as the former vice president recovered from heart surgery. Pence isn't waiting to make up with his former running mate, nor is he waiting for the former president to make up his own mind about his political future. People around Pence rejected the idea that he would hold off on his 2024 planning until Trump announces whether he'll run. What are the former vice president's nomination chances with or without former President Donald Trump entering the race in 2024? Hmm. I, I'm yeah, about as good as anybody else's. But, but be, be, before he was BVP, he was kind of, was, was he even widely... Regarded within the Republican Party, I, th- I think he was on his yes, track to lose the Indiana governorship before he was picked. I thought he um, was considered clean. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it looks clean. I think. In fact, I wonder what, what, what could he emerge as kind of the anti-Trump Republican? I mean, if it could, if the Republican Party may end up splitting in two fractions, could Pence be the the magnet that would pull the anti-Trump Republicans together? Or can he pull off the balancing act of having a foot in both camps? Yeah, he yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he 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 was right there uh, joined at the hip with Trump for too long. I don't That's think true. he can he can disassociate himself from that. 
Um, I think he was on his way to losing an election in Indiana. That's what I thought. He was, yeah, he was, he was running for governor, and I thought he, the odds were he was likely to lose, from what I recall. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Charisma Personality doesn't seem to be carrying him forward. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, the vice president has a defined function to follow, just like Kamala Harris has. Uh, and he did that well. He couldn't rise above the president. President right. Trump. He had to be how many, how many vice presidents have been elected to the presidency? Uh, as many as the president. Mm-hmm. Very, few, very few directly. H.W. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Bush is the most recent one. And before that, you got, well, Nixon had a gap between his, his, his election. And before that, you've got to go, gee. Way back. Yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of who the pre, next vice president going back would be. Who, who got elected on their own without the president dying in office or something? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a long, it's a long haul. Um, might have been Van Buren or somebody. Yeah, I think it's hard to disassociate yourself from the president you served. Now, Ronald Reagan was very popular, so H. W. Bush certainly had those coattails to ride on. Yeah. Well, and and H. W. Bush had run against Reagan in the primary, right? And so, to That's some right. degree, he had a little bit of an organization already established um, to yeah. reinvoke when he decided yeah. to run. And he had served in so many different capacities that he had a pretty wide-ranging um, following. You know, it wasn't just. Well, yeah, he had a great, very, very, very impressive resume. Yeah, uh, yeah. he was a great military ran. man, and he served the country well. CIA, and, and you know, yeah. uh, he had great credentials. <clears throat> you yeah. know, Bobby, you mentioned John Meacham earlier, and he was on the show um, after he did the the book about H.W. Yeah, yeah, he's a good writer, and and that was an interesting book, and. John Meacham said that he really very much liked George H.W. Bush and came yeah. to like him even more writing the book. I think he was a very principled person. And, uh, and he had me, a great spouse. Barbara yeah, Bush well, was she Barbara was, I admired yeah. her outspoken nature. So did I. He, I wrote a blog on that. Yeah, yeah I think H.W. was what we used to call a statesman. Uh, somebody who could rise above politics yeah, to actually right. govern, yeah. But he couldn't get above. They ain't no new taxes, I think. Yeah, that well, slogan. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it hit him. And actually, it was Ross Perot when Ross Perot yeah. ran in '92. It pulled away a lot of what normally have been Republican votes. Yeah. If yeah, Perot hadn't yeah. been there, probably Bush would have gotten reelected. Yeah, didn't Perot get something like 13%? I don't recall. Well, uh, more like 19%. He's one Was of the strongest third-party candidates we've ever had. Uh, well, like Wallace, when he ran, I think he got 13%. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and I think yeah. that was uh, that was the 13% that might have turned that election a little closer. You're right. 
but anyway, there's you know digress. But I was going to go and mention that maybe all the write-in candidates in Flint have also established a third party. <laughs> I, I, I've kind of specif- that, that's going to be my next column. I think I'm going to m- mention the possibility. I, you know, th- write-ins have a hard time winning, but again, they can pull votes in various ways that uh, may may affect the final outcome. Yeah, well, I don't know whether that's going to change the culture of politics in this country. If it didn't in Europe between well, 13, 14, and, and the 1800s. It's going to be interesting all kind of scenarios. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the write-in candidates in the Flint City Council election because in two of the wards, they are the only alternative to the incumbents on the ballot. Right, right. Yeah. And there are so yeah. many write-in candidates that, I, I don't know, it might make it a season for considering write-in candidates yeah. because so many of them are pushing for it. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's a third party called the write-in party. Yeah. But there there are a lot of mistakes and errors and writing in, uh, so you can't predict who will win because George. people don't uh, necessarily pay attention to details and they spoil the ballots. But you remember when Murkowski, Murkowski won on a write-in campaign because she was very sure that people knew how to spell her name? I remember that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. You know, what's interesting about third parties is they, they rarely win, but they very often play a major role in setting the agenda for the major parties. I mean, yes. you take a look at, uh, uh, well, George Wallace in 68, that was kind of the... Uh, the uh, uh, Republicans moved to pick up the South as the South was shifting from Democrat to Republican. Uh, Ross Perot talked about balancing the budget, and Bill Clinton did that by the end of the 90s. So, and the uh, Libertarian Party was around before Ronald Reagan in some ways, and some of Reagan's ideas, at least, were kind of picked up from the Libertarian Party, the anti-government kind of mold. So third parties, they don't win, but boy, they, they, can, they can play a major role in setting the agenda and and pulling could, votes away from the major parties. Could you well, apply that same logic to John Anderson? I was going to say Anderson in the yeah. Reagan and Carter election. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think it. And and what's his name? The one that uh, got involved in the Gore, Bush, uh, oh, the Pinto guy. Oh, oh Ralph Nader. Yeah. Ralph yeah. Nader. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they, yeah can, they can really influence things. In fact, yeah, as I recall, in the, in the Bush-Gore race, if you take a look at the the third-party votes in Florida, that you you could make a case that that Gore could have won Florida if there hadn't been a third party there. Yeah, and the butterfly ballot. Well, here's yeah. here's yeah. one that kind of brings us uh, full circle from when we were talking earlier about. Uh, vaccine and mask mandates and so on a lot of people are paying attention to the virginia gubernatorial candidates terry mcauliffe and glenn yunkin um, they sparred thursday over what each would do in the fight against the coronavirus revealing a significant divide between the democrats backing of vaccine mandates and the republicans argument that vaccination is a personal choice the fight over measures to combat covid 19 was the focus of the first gubernatorial debate from the uh, outset of the contest 
with both candidates attempting to go on a fence on the issue during the event hosted by Appalachian School of Law in uh, Grundy, Virginia. How much will the 2022 election campaigns be based on for or against vaccine and mask mandates? Hmm. This gets back to what you said. This gets back yeah, to what you were talking about, Paul, with uh, with these issues being politicized in a way that uh, a pandemic never really has been, I don't think. Yeah, I'm, I'm not aware that that was the case in 1918-19, I don't think. It was in, I mean, there was there was opposition to masks in, the, in those years, but I, I don't think it ran along party lines that I'm aware of. Um, but here, I say every every little action we take on the pandemic breaks down along partisan lines. Uh, well, it's, I think there it's, Go ahead. I was going to say it's become emotional as opposed to rational. Yeah. I was just going to say it depends on, what, on what, where we are with the pandemic. If the pandemic is ancient history by 2022, maybe it won't be a big deal. But if it's still around in some way, some significant way, I think we're going to be, it could be a, a very hot-button issue. Well, 2022 isn't that far off, Paul. I know, yeah. And, and there's uh, a lot of talk about a fourth surge this fall, which would easily carry us at least calendar-wise over into 2022. Right. But that would solve a lot of uh, questions and problems. If we did have a third surge, that would solve a lot of problems. Well, if we had another surge, it's possible the people who are not vaccinated will have taken themselves out of the voter pool, and that <laughs> might also. Yeah, yeah, but something's going to happen there. The people are going to come to the realization that people have choices. Not and, and the, the force And the force people, the way that we've forced people, we've created uh, two camps, and they're at each other's throat vehemently. Well, and you know, I, I, so nature will have to settle this for us. You know, in terms of choices, I say you've got choices. I've got a choice personally to drink a bottle of whiskey for breakfast in the morning, but I don't have a choice of then getting in my car and driving down Dort Highway and crashing into people. So yeah, you know. But but those are circumstances that you make when you decide to have that first drink. You made a choice. But, yeah, I think in that did. scenario, Paul, there should be a mandated chaser. <laughs> right. Scott and Milt, the dead only vote in Illinois and Texas, and so it depends upon what happens in t- 2022 as to how many of their voters have died. Mm. And But they'll be out there on the polls. They, their names will be listed on the polls, many of them. That's what I'm telling you. The dead will be voting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sneaky. Okay. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just sometimes triggers my my warped sense oh. of humor. Now, did oh, you I say know. Illinois and Arizona? No, no, Texas. Texas. Remember, LBJ was accused of. Oh, that's um, right. Um, that's oh, right. yeah. That, that one county where all the votes were in alphabetical order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they all correlated with the headstones in the cemetery. Right. Now, that's structure and order. <laughs> I like it. Oh, yeah. But I heard Illinois also had some questionable votes back oh, in the yeah. 
thing, but I'm not sure. Yeah, we had the same thing well, in Flint I, here. You know, I Several always say that, that Paul's got a box of Dewey votes in the trunk of his car. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, well, my grandfather is still voting in Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, before we uh, completely descend into madness here, um, we should squeeze in the, the uh, X-Files, and they're coming up after we take a short break. This is Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. You're listening to us at uh, on 92.1 LPFM Flint, WFOV. We're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. 
As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And our final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics is, uh, or includes rather, those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. And uh, we have our roundtable regulars uh, participating in this. A lawyer in Galveston, Texas, was cited on Monday for disorderly conduct after he was spotted walking on a beach dressed like Michael Myers, the murderous character from the Halloween films. Officers responded to a 911 call about a man walking along the shore carrying what looked like a bloody knife, Galveston Police Department spokesperson Sergeant Stacy Papillon told the Galveston Daily News. After the officers put the man in handcuffs, they realized the knife and blood were fake. The man, identified as attorney Mark Metzger III, was ticketed for disorderly conduct and released, according to Houston uh, TV station KTRK. Still, he admits he's fuzzy on what exactly was illegal about his actions. It felt like a scene out of Scooby-Doo after they handcuffed me and pulled the mask off. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling Karens, you know, <laughs> He's, he told KTRK. What do you suppose this lawyer wears when he's chasing ambulances? Thanks, Gordon Hughes. Yeah, that's a... Uh, uh, kind of an odd way to get new clients. <laughs> I, I was trying to picture it. <laughs> Maybe he was acting out a, um, a reenacting a murder scene or something for a defendant that he was representing. <laughs> yeah, true, <laughs> true. Well, here's here's a weird one uh, that caught my attention. The House 
Former drug kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman fled in 2014 when Mexican Marines had him surrounded, underwent some changes recently as the Mexican government prepared to give it away in a national lottery. The surveillance cameras that covered every angle of the modest home's exterior were removed, and the hole under a bathtub that Guzman had slipped through to reach a network of tunnels was covered with a concrete slab. The Associated Press was given access to the property in a quiet uh, neighborhood ahead of the uh, lottery. In recent weeks, Mexico's Institute to Return Stolen Goods to the People, known by its initials as in depth, gave it a uh, fresh coat of white paint inside and out and tiled over the spot in the bathroom where the tub and tunnel entry point had been. Uh, President um, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador has been uh, talking up the lottery of seized properties but gave no mention to the history of this particular house. An expansive home in one of Mexico City's swankiest neighborhoods and a private box at the uh, famed Azteca Stadium have garnered more attention. Would you want to buy this house with the escape hatch uh, taken out? <laughs> yeah, it's probably close to a prison and, and we're in there. <laughs> well, it, I'm surprised it's not designated a historical site. Yeah, well, I, can, I can see that becoming an historical site of some kind, like the... Yeah, yeah, and you could charge for tours. I mean, you know, that yeah. would be yeah, be interesting. And but if it's a historical site, you can't make any changes to it. So you oh, couldn't dig right. up, Yeah, you couldn't dig up the floor and go back through the tunnel or anything like that. But you know, you could teach the new generation how to get things done. <laughs> <laughs> Well, did they, I was thinking, didn't they try that with something with Al Capone in Chicago? Is Al Capone's vault wasn't Geraldo Rivera? Oh, didn't yeah. He, didn't they have a program where he's going to go into Al Capone's vault and find all kind of bizarre things and so right. call found nothing? Nothing. Nothing dust. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Our history is... I, you know, I watched that show, and it was almost as exciting as the O.J. Simpson chase scene. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and you know, it was so long ago. When you think about it, you think that seems like yesterday. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It kind of does. Well, this was uh, kind of a, an interesting. This is also kind of re real estate related. Boston's famous skinny house has sold for a nice fat price. The home in the city's north end hit the market in August for $1.2 million and the deal was closed Thursday for $1.25 million according to Zillow. The four-story home built in 1862 according to a plaque on the facade is about 1165 square feet even though it is about 10 feet wide at its widest point and narrows in the back to about nine and a quarter feet it was two bedrooms and one bathroom and uh, includes a private deck with a view of boston harbor the home does not have a front door instead residents enter through a side door it was last sold in 2017 for $900,000, it is also known as the Spite House, according to the plaque. According to local lore, two brothers inherited some land. 
When one of them joined the army, the other built a large house that took up most of the land. When the soldier brother returned, he built a skinny house to block his brother's view and sunlight. <laughs> oh. Was this, was this kind of sibling rivalry a sign of the time during the onset of the Civil War? <laughs> it must have been. Yeah, that's funny. That's the first thing that hit my mind with sibling rivalry. Yeah. But there again, you've got histor- a historical site that cannot be altered. Yeah. <laughs> True. Well, and the picture of it is hilarious because all of the houses up and down the street are three times as wide. Yeah. You know, there's just this yeah. little narrow house. I mean, literally 10 feet wide. Well, taxi fleets in Thailand are giving new meaning to the term rooftop garden as they utilize the roofs of cabs idled by the coronavirus crisis to serve as small vegetable plots. Workers from two taxi cooperatives assembled the miniature gardens this week using black plastic garbage bags stretched across bamboo frames. On top, they added soil in which a variety of crops, including tomatoes, cucumbers, and string beans were planted. The result looks more like an eye-grabbing art installation than a car park, and that's partly the point to draw attention to the plight of taxi drivers and operators who have been badly hit by coronavirus lockdown measures. Is this an interesting example of the reuse environment we live in? It may be. There's uh, a possibility here and in Flint we've got all these trucks sitting around waiting for chips so they can be used. We can plant tomatoes on the, on the roof of these trucks or, or yeah. school buses that aren't being run, run around today because there's no drivers. Who knows? Yeah. Well, the, the term that came to my mind was movable feet. I thought, well, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> the movable feet. Yeah. Well, you know, they were they were doing a lot of planting of gardens on rooftops to cool down the city of Chicago. I believe it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, putting yeah, so putting these gardens on taxi cabs is is a whole new dimension to you know from farm to table. <laughs> yeah, literally. And it also goes back to what Henry talked about, where it's sort of like, well, there's a will of a, there's a way. You know, if you can solve a different problem a different way, then do it. So that's yeah. what he did. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for uh, the X Files on uh, Armchair Politics this week, and wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. But I want to say thanks to our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki. Thank you. Always good to be here. And Henry, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Dom. And it's always a treat when uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton joins our roundtable. Bobby, thank you as well. Thank you. It's a treat for me as well, you guys. I really enjoy myself. Great um, program. Quick, quick plug about tomorrow's show. I think it's during the 10 o'clock hour I'm going to talk with uh, a uh, German uh, get-out-the-vote activist, uh, Claudia Clark, who has written a book about uh, the friendship between Barack Obama and Angela Merkel, and oh. it seems it seems kind of kind of timely with uh, uh, Angela Merkel uh, not running for re-election and her predecessor being selected this coming Sunday. So you might yeah. want to tune in and catch that. Anyway, thanks everybody. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care. Good night. Take care, Henry. Bobby. Okay. Tom. Thank you. Yeah.
That's Smokin' George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But uh, thanks again to everybody, uh, and, and I want to say thanks uh, to Ada Ferrer, my guest during the first hour talking about Cuba. But I'm heading down the hall to the living room, and I will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be too. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.